Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Glad you guys could be here tonight. Thanks for coming. And uh, like Taylor was saying, yeah, it's kind of winding down a little bit around here on campus, huh? Like, uh, I don't know. It's going going by too fast. Can't believe it's already mid-November. And it's been really great to be gathering every week and looking at the parables. And uh, we are coming kind of to the end. You know, next semester we'll do a totally different series. I'm not even sure what yet, but we'll look at a different part of Scripture. But it's been really uh, I've really enjoyed kind of looking at some of these parables, uh, these stories that Jesus used to teach uh, profound things, particularly about the kingdom of God, uh, what God is like, what, is, what the kingdom is like that he has come to bring. And tonight we're coming to one, it's called the parable of the ten minas, and it's found in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. So I can read it for us and then spend a little time examining it. So... Uh, It says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive a king for himself, a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, uh, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be, and you are to be over five cities. And then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking a... Would I deposit and reaping what I do not sow? Why then did you not put the money, my money in the bank and in my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you what I, uh, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's a tough one. Let's pray that God would guide us through it. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would make sense of it to us and help us to understand. But more importantly, we pray that we would uh, take it in, truly, your word, uh, that we would be changed by it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so this is kind of a tough parable, tougher than some of the other ones I think we've been looking at this semester. And to understand it, uh, the setting helps. You know, in verse 11, it kind of sets the scene for what's going on. And it says that he's telling this parable to his disciples because they're coming to Jerusalem. And his disciples are thinking that it says uh, the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So what they're envisioning and what people believed at that time is that when the Messiah came and Jesus came, he was going to like actually show up in Jerusalem and fight everyone until everyone just acknowledged him to be the king. And so that they're like getting they're gearing up for like battle when they're following Jesus in to Jerusalem. And, you know, imagine being one of these disciples. Uh, you've, if you're one of his disciples, like in this passage, it means you, for years now you've been following him, sitting at his feet, learning from him. Uh, figuring out that he is the Messiah, the Christ. And he's been taking them with him to Jerusalem and they're getting close now. And they've seen some amazing stuff. Jesus has recently, for instance, healed a blind beggar. Like a, someone who is blind, he gave sight to right before this. And so they're probably getting pretty amped up. They're like, we're heading to Jerusalem. This guy is doing amazing stuff. Like this is it. And Jesus is preparing them to have to wait. And, you know, we live in a very different time, but in some ways a similar time, because uh, we too are waiting for Jesus to come and make everything right. And, you know, it's kind of like, hey, let's get on with this. You know, there's a temptation uh, to be like, where is Jesus? Let's get on with this. And then a temptation to kind of check out early. Like, has anybody checked out early from school this semester already? Like, everybody, anybody kind of done with the semester because they know it's like almost the end? And um, following Jesus can be like that too. It's like, he's supposed to come. Where is he? Can't I quit? Um, and Jesus is telling his disciples that it's going to be a while before his kingdom comes. But in the meantime, what should they do? And in the meantime, what should we do? while we wait on the king. Uh, What does it look like to live uh, in this time when the kingdom has come, Jesus has come, but he's going to come again. And for that, we wait. What should our lives look like while we wait? And so that's the setting. And Jesus tells this parable to that uh, setting. And the parable is that there's this king or this nobleman that goes away to receive a kingdom. And this was common. Like King Herod, you know King Herod from the Bible when Jesus was born? Uh, he actually did this. Like he had to travel to Rome to be like anointed king of Israel by Caesar. So it was like, that's a long trip. He went away for a long time and came back and was now king. And so that's kind of the situation that Jesus is uh, telling now in this parable. And so this nobleman who goes away calls 10 of his servants and gives them each a mina, which is three months' wages. So it's a coin. It's worth three months. It's a lot of money, like significant amount of money. And he tells them to engage in business on his behalf. Now, here's what that means. It's like engaging in business on his behalf means like take this money and start a business with my name on it. So like I'm the king, so call your, like start a camel rental store and call it King's Camels. Or like a carpet store and call it King's Carpets, okay? Like, that, that's kind of what he has in mind here. Uh, so he's telling these men, he's giving money to, he's like, you gotta make money with my money. Start a business with my name on it. Which is a tough situation, though, because it says that the citizens hate the king. They hate the guy who went away. 
and he's going to come back and be king. So there's this dilemma that they have where they're like, should I actually do it? Is he really going to come back as king? Like, it's gonna, he's going to be gone for a while. Will he really be king when he comes back? You know, stuff changes all the time. Kings come and go in this society. Uh, what about how hard it's going to be if everyone hates, like, how am I going to do a business if everyone hates this guy? And his name is on it. And uh, one scholar actually says, what the, noble, what the nobleman wants to know is, are you willing to take the risk and openly declare yourselves to be my loyal servants during my absence in a world where many oppose me in my rule. See what he's saying? He's saying, are you willing to represent me even when it's hard? And so in the parable, he returns as king now, and he calls three of the servants, and he, and he says, like, what have you gained by doing business? And one of them says, well... Your mina has made 10 minas more, which is insane. 10 times investment. It's great work. He says, because you've been faithful, I'll give you 10 cities to be in charge of. And then the second one says, well, your mina has produced five more. And he says, great, take five cities. And, and then the third one, it says that he hid the mina because he was afraid of the nobleman who he had heard was a severe man. And to that third guy, he says, your judgment is that I'm going to treat you as if what you believe about me is actually true. Take his mina, give it to the other guy. And then to top it off, he calls all the people who hate him and he says uh, that they should be brought in to be slaughtered. And it ends like that. Kind of a tense ending, right? Um, Okay, we live in a time where Jesus is away. Jesus... The basic Christian belief is that Jesus has ascended to heaven and will one day come again. And in our story, Jesus is getting ready to go away, and he wants his disciples to know what to do, how to live while he's gone. Uh, So the question for us is, what are we supposed to do? You ever wonder, like, what am I actually supposed to be doing with my life? Am I headed in the right direction? What does God want from me? What does he want for me? And the simple answer that this parable gives is to be faithful. What God's looking to see from his servants, us, is to be faithful with what he's given us while he's away. And so I just want to look at this idea of faithfulness tonight, and I want to look first at the challenge of it. Okay? So it's a challenge. In the parable, it's a challenge because the king is away and everyone hates the king. How are you going to be faithful to the king if he's away and everyone hates him? Um, What does it mean to be faithful? It means to live your life like he's really the king. Like he's really going to come back and he's really given you something to be in charge of, something to tend to here. And, you know, we don't have a mina, a coin that's worth three months wages, but we do have a life. We do have skills and abilities. We do have a place where we have been placed to live. And so, you know, think about what what could faithful living look like? You know, there's a basic answer is do the right thing when it's hard. Even when it's hard, uh, do the right thing. And when you do so, what you're actually doing is you're declaring that there is a king. His name is Jesus. He's coming again. Uh, Another example might be living, you know, letting others know that there's a king. Letting others know about him and his goodness. Uh, if you believe that Jesus is the king, do your friends know that? 
How long does someone have to know you before you believe they find out that you believe that Jesus is the king? Uh, do they know why you believe? You know, we don't want to shove Jesus down people's throats like those guys do out there. You know, the guys that yell at people on Fairfield Way. Like, don't do that. We are not about that in RUF. But we are about telling people that there's a king and he's good and bringing them in to this group and into the kingdom of God and so that they can know him. Uh, so that's a way to be faithful. Uh, seeking out relationships with new people is a way to be faithful. Uh, seeking to show new people what God is like, uh, using your gifts for his purposes, you know, thinking about, you know, what major are you doing? Why are you doing a ma- your major? What career are you pursuing? Is there a way that you can tie it to what God is doing in the world? And I'll give you a really cool example. I heard a podcast recently uh, about this guy named Don Flo. And Don Flo is a very successful car dealership guy. In the Southeast, he's got like all these car dealerships and Uh, He started with just one, though. His father had owned a car dealership, and so he kind of inherited it. And uh, he had done a lot of thinking and studying about the kingdom of God and, like, how should you do business if you're a Christian? Like, how, how could you take what God is about and tie it into your business? And he found all these things. And one example is this. Uh... He, in the car dealership business, you know that like a lot of how it works, or especially how it used to work, is like you show up and you negotiate a price. You know, like a new car, but you know they say well, it costs this much, and you say, well, how about this much and this much and this much, and you go back and forth until you get a price. And so the prices were always changing depending on how good someone was at negotiating. And he he did a lot of thinking about this, and he said. God would never run a car dealership like that. Like Jesus, if he owned this dealership, would like not run it that way because it's unfair. It's not telling the truth about how much these things cost. And, you know, poor people who aren't as good at negotiating actually get a worse price than rich people who are good at negotiating. And so he said, you know what? We're just going to tell, we're going to give them a sheet of paper that says what we pay for the car and what we're selling it for. Our co- they're just going to have all the information that we have, which is called truth-telling. God likes that. And we're going to give everyone the same fair price. Fairness. God on justice. God likes that too. And, you know, the amazing thing is that, like, he, he, he talks about when they started doing that, all his competitors were like, you're going to be buried, man. Like, this is not going to work. And really now, like, almost every car dealership does this. Like, they've, they've just, it just, not only is it the right thing to do, but it works so much better. And it makes the world so much better and the shopping experience so much better. Um, you know, so what's your version of that? You know, thinking about whatever career, field, interest, whatever you're into, how can you make it more the way God would make it? Um, but, you know, there's a challenge of living faithfully in the world where the king is gone because uh, most people don't, you know, in this story and in our world, most people don't want a king. You know, at Yukon, like, does anybody want a king? Is, that, is it, like, super easy to just tell people about Jesus being the king? No, it's not. It's hard. And then in addition to that, it's hard. Like, we worry about the outcome, right? What if I try something and it doesn't work? What if I tell someone about what I believe and try to bring them in and it like gets super awkward? Uh, what if people ridicule me or what if it backfires? 
Uh, but listen to what the nobleman says in this parable. He doesn't say, because you made this money. He says, because you were faithful with very little. Uh, the servant says, he doesn't say, I made the money. He says, your mina has made this much money. And it's pointing to this idea that God wants, he doesn't care about the outcome so much as he cares about your faithfulness. Why does he care? You know, he could do all the work. God could snap his fingers and make the world exactly how he wants it to be, but he wants it to be through us. And the way I like to think about it is like, what if you own Dunkin' Donuts? What if you're the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts? It'd be pretty cool, right? In New England, it'd be especially cool because everywhere you go, you would see Dunkin' Donuts. Like you'd be driving down the street and you'd see a Dunkin' Donuts sign and in your head you'd go, cha-ching, more money for me. Uh, that's mine. That's doing something for me. No, there's another one. There's another one because there's like 30 in every town in New England practically. Um, that's a little bit like what, that's a little bit how God is. Uh, God loves to take people who were his enemies and make them into people who are like building up his kingdom. Uh, you know, he could do it better himself, but it brings him glory. It gives him delight have us do it, you know, driving around and being like, yes, 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 this is awesome. Uh, he loves his kingdom and he loves when we're part of it. Uh, so I want to look now at the, that was a challenge, but I want to look at the reward of faithfulness. And this is pretty interesting, I think, too. Uh, the reward is more opportunities to be faithful. Like he puts these guys, he says, you were faithful, so here's 10 cities. Uh, and so they're not rewarded with like a vacation cruise or like a new iPhone. It's not just like something you get that's awesome, but it's a new responsibility, like something to, more to be in charge of. Um, like can you imagine how hard it would be to run 10 cities? Uh, you'd have to really love the work, right? You'd have to really love the cities. Imagine if you wrote a paper, we were just talking about writing papers earlier, and imagine if you wrote a paper for class, really hard paper, took you a long time, put a lot into it and your professor said great job here's 10 more papers to write you'd be like no unless you really liked what you were writing about unless you really enjoyed the work and the in god's kingdom the reason that the reward is more responsibility more opportunities to be faithful is because that's exactly what you were made to do we were made for this. We were made to glorify God. We were made, like our lives will be fuller the more we are about this kingdom, this new way of life, this new reality that God is bringing about on this earth. Uh, I think about it, you know, like a garden, like I have a small garden in my yard and, you know, the funny, like, Gardening is fun, kind of. Like, it's so slow, but, like, every day you can, like, when you have a garden going, you get out there, and every day there's something new, and it's like, this is cool. Like, something is happening here. Something is growing, and it becomes exciting. It's especially exciting for my kids because they're young, and they're not, like, burnt out on cool things in nature like we all are. Um, you know, imagine if you witnessed, like, a tenfold increase in an investment. Like, wouldn't that be fun? To like watch that happen. Um, imagine sharing your faith with someone, telling them what you believe, and they start to believe too. Imagine how fun and cool that would be. 
Um, that's what it's like to be part of God's kingdom, which is so different from, you know, a lot of times we talk about God's kingdom and Christianity and we say like, it's about getting to heaven. Or we tell people like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And the point of being a Christian is so you can go to the right place. And that is so lame compared to the vision that Jesus gives here. Uh, you know, a better question rather than like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Is like, do you want to be part of like the best thing that's happening in the history of the universe called the kingdom of God? Because that's what we're actually inviting people in. That's what Jesus is inviting people into, uh, you know, to participate in what God is doing, cosmically, cosmically renewing the world is exciting. Uh, so, you know, maybe you're a little bored with God. It happens, right? Sometimes we get a little bored with God. Uh, maybe it's because you've lost sight of what he's really all about. Uh, God is not boring in his kingdom. is certainly not. But, you know, maybe we've made it about something that it's not. Uh, so I want to look. That's the reward of faithfulness. But I want to look now at the barrier, which is unbelief. Uh, it's how you view the king. Uh, in the parable, the man says, I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you do not deposit and you reap what you do not sow. Um, and the reason he's unfaithful is because he has believed something that's not true about the man. Like, where did he hear this? I don't know. But where did it come from? Like, how, why does he, why do the other guys do fine? And he doesn't, you know, he's, I'm scared of you because you're a bad guy. Like, you, you're a thief. You're dishonest. Um, it's hard to say how that belief came about, but it probably happened something like this, where it's like the guy goes away and he's like, I'm supposed to invest this Mina, but I'm not sure if he's going to come back. So maybe I'll put it away for a while and wait and see. And meanwhile, the other guys start to make some money. And he's like, oh, no, <laughs> I hope he doesn't come back soon. But if he comes back too soon, I won't have anything. So I'll just, I'll just wait. And, and, you know, maybe he starts to be like, well, he's probably not coming back. And it turns into bitterness and then unbelief. And it's this downward spiral that can happen of unfaithfulness where we begin by believing something that's a little false and then things get worse and worse. Uh, this is why it matters a lot to be faithful, even in small things. Because even, you know, the small, being unfaithful in a small thing, you know, the little thing, the little sins can take us, can be the beginning of taking us on a path that spirals into being like, you know what, maybe God isn't real. Maybe God is mean. Maybe I don't need to serve him. It can mess up our hearts, even the small steps we take of unfaithfulness. You can be lost in the downward spiral forever. So how do you be faithful then? You know, let's, we're all, I'm just going to assume you guys are like me and you struggle with this. Faithfulness to God, living life like his kingdom is real and he's coming and, and not just checking out early. So how do we do it? Um, the parable is open-ended. Did you notice, like, we don't, it doesn't say exactly how it plays out in the end. Like, does the unfaithful servant say, you're right, I'm sorry. Is there any room for me in your kingdom still? Can I, I, can I still be your servant? Or does he join up with the people that hate the king? Uh, think about the citizens that hate this king. He's back now. Uh, and he's, <laughs> is there still time for them to turn back to him? Or are they definitely going to be killed? 
we don't know. We're supposed to like meditate on this and stew on it and wonder. And, and the reason it's open-ended is to leave room for a possibility of an upward spiral. How can unfaithful people be faithful? How can we be fixed? What's the solution to our unfaithfulness? Uh, it begins with knowing what God's actually like. You know, if, not, if, if believing something false about him starts this downward spiral, then knowing what he's actually like can actually change us. We see it in the parable. Uh, what if God, instead of being mean and unjust, was actually a generous king who blesses, who gives to his people? Uh, what, if this, what if our God was a king who actually draws people into his kingdom and gives them real uh, responsibility, real places of honor in his kingdom, doing his work, what they were actually made to do? And most importantly, look where Jesus is headed in this parable. He's headed to Jerusalem, which is where the cross is waiting for him. He's heading to the cross. This king is so good that he'll even die for his subjects. He'll even die for people that don't want him to be king. Uh, and if he'll do that for you, and he will, then that's what starts to break the downward spiral. That's how the upward spiral starts. That's, how, that's where faithfulness comes from, is knowing that he's been faithful to me. Uh, he's always been faithful to me, and I have not been faithful to him, and he still wants me. Do you know that he wants you? Do you know that even now he wants you? Know, I don't know what your day was like, but he wants you, no matter how it went. Uh, that can change you. Let's pray that it will. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, and we pray uh, that we would know something more of it tonight. Uh, we pray that we'd be changed to be faithful like you and to serve you well and to join you in your work, uh, join you in this great work of making the world how it's supposed to be, representing you here, uh, showing the world what you're like and that they can come in too. We pray that you would help us and help us to flourish here and serve you well. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.